Good morning, church. Praise the Lord. Our scripture reading for this today is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the, the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all, the, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner, prisoners free. The Lord, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over their sojourners. sojourners. He upholds the widows and the faith, fatherless, but the way of the wicked to, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The Lord of the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. So we are just a couple weeks away from our church's 15th anniversary celebration. We've officially confirmed the date. It's going to be February 4th. We're going to have a celebration service here, and then afterwards, we're going to have a potluck downstairs uh, for lunch afterwards. So we'll send out some messages about that lunch this week so that you guys can start preparing. But it's going to be great. I'm excited for it. And as we've been getting ready for our anniversary celebration, the past few weeks, we've been talking about God's faithfulness in our sermons. And we've been looking at the Psalms as we study God's faithfulness. So the first week we looked at Psalm 19 and we saw that God is, shows his faithfulness by revealing himself to us. And then last week we looked at Psalm 71 and we saw that God is faithful even in the midst of our trials, during the times where we're tempted to think that maybe he's given up on us, maybe he's far away from us, that actually even during those times, he's faithful, he's working for our good. But the reality is that during life, so often it's easy to forget that that's true. It's easy to forget that God is faithful. We, we fail to believe that God's really there. We fail to believe that God really cares about us or that he's working for our good. And so when that happens, we become tempted to turn to other people, to other things as our saviors, because we think that those people or things can do a better job helping us than God can. And today's Psalm, Psalm 146, speaks to that temptation, the temptation 
to turn to substitutes rather than the real God for salvation. And it shows us why we should continue to trust in the real God, the God of the Bible, rather than these substitutes. And so what we're gonna see today is that because God is the faithful savior, he alone deserves praise. Because God is the faithful savior, he alone deserves praise. And we'll look at why we trust in others, why others aren't trustworthy, why God is trustworthy, and our proper response. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word understands what real life is like, and it understands the struggles and the trials that we face, and it speaks to those things. And I pray that as we look at your word today, that you'd be speaking to us in the midst of whatever trials and difficulties and temptations we are facing, that you'd be filling us with an awareness of who you are so that we can trust in you and praise you each day. In Jesus' name, amen. So first off, why we trust in others. See, Psalm 146, it recognizes a reality of the way our world works. And the reality is this, all of us, every single one of us, we at times feel the need to turn to someone or something outside ourselves to help us get through life. That might be God, it might be someone or something else. It might be politicians, it might be scientists, it might be our jobs or a spouse or whatever. But we all turn to something or someone outside ourselves for confidence that the world's gonna be okay, that things are gonna work out all right for us. And why do we do this? Because the various problems we face in life are too big for us to handle on our own. I mean, we, we look at different situations in life and in the world. Maybe it's something like international conflicts, the wars going on around the world, or something like global warming, or the unpredictability of the economy, or maybe it's closer to home. We have a difficult child and we just can't figure out how to parent them, or a difficult spouse or a difficult parent, children. <laughs> Maybe it's difficulty at work or at school or any of hundreds of other situations that we face each day that can go wrong or that can be difficult. And we look at these things and we realize something is wrong here. And whatever is wrong here, it's beyond my ability to fix on my own. It's beyond the limited resources that I have. And if you read the rest of the Bible, we actually see that the problems we face in life are a gift from God that are meant to lead us to hope and trust in him. So for example, if you read Romans chapter eight, verses 20 to 21, it says creation was subjected to futility Things go wrong in the world, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that's God, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, those two verses, they're really dense. I should have put them on the screen, but I didn't. I'm sorry about that. We could get several sermons from just those verses themselves. We're not going to dig in depth right now. But here's what I want you to recognize from these verses. The things that go wrong in our world, the things that go wrong in our lives, they are sent by God to teach us 
to hope. They are reminders that, that life is too big for you to handle on your own so that you'll stop trying to do life on your own and learn to rely on God instead because life works best when we're relying on God, which is an incredible gift from him because life works best when we depend on God. And so things, even uncomfortable things, that point us back to him and remind us to rely and depend on him are good gifts, even if they're uncomfortable in the moment. So these things that go wrong in life, they're a gift because when we use them properly, they point us back and refocus our attention on God as the savior we need. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, when we looked at Psalm 19, God is constantly sending messages out into the world through creation and to us through the Bible, through his word, telling us that he exists and telling us what he's like. And so when we look at the problems of life, the things that are beyond our control, and we interpret them properly as a sign that things are broken and we need a savior, and we hear these messages that God is sending to us through creation and through his word about who he is, we recognize God is the savior we need. And these things work together to point us to place our hope and trust in him. That's how it's supposed to work. When they work right, they're meant to build and strengthen our faith in God. But here's the problem. The difficulties we face in life, they are so big and clear and obvious that none of us can miss them. You turn on the news and you can hear a hundred things that have gone wrong in the world in 20 minutes, all of them beyond your ability to fix. You cannot miss the fact that the world is broken and it's beyond your power to fix. But so often, these messages about who God is, about the fact that he's real, that he cares for us, that, that he wants us to, to go through life depending on him, we miss them. We don't realize that they're true and if you want to know more about why that's the case, you can listen to our sermon online from Psalm 19 a couple of weeks ago. But the summary is, there's three main reasons. One, this brokenness in the world, it's not just outside us, it's inside us as well. And so when we try and see and hear these messages from God, we're, we're working with faulty equipment. So we sometimes just miss the messages. That's one reason. The second reason, sometimes we just don't want to recognize God is there because if God's there, that has real implications for how I need to live my life. And if I don't want to live my life that way, then it's in my best interest for God not to exist in the first place. So I'm just going to cover my eyes or close my eyes to any of these messages so I don't have to live accountable and responsible to God. And the third reason is that Sometimes we just haven't been trained. We don't know what to look for. We don't know how to read the Bible or, or what evidence in nature could point us towards this reality that God exists. And so between those three things, some combination of them come together. They make us miss this message that God is there, that he cares about us, that he's good with us, to us. And we, we miss this half of the equation that there's a good God who cares about us. We only see this half of the equation that things have gone wrong in the world and we can't fix them. 
and we know we need to turn to someone or something outside ourselves for help, but we look to things or people other than God. These good gifts that are meant to point us towards God and strengthen and deepen our dependence on him end up pointing us away from God instead. And I realize at this point, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with Psalm 146? Well, Psalm 146 addresses this specific danger. It tells us about one of these false saviors that people are tempted to turn to when things go wrong. If you look at verse three, it labels this group as princes. It says, put not your trust in princes. Now, princes were people with power, maybe political leaders. But in the ancient world, people often came into power because they were wealthy. And so because of this, one Bible scholar recommended that a better translation for our world rather than princes would be the influential. Put not your trust in the influential. So in our world, this category could include political leaders of various countries. You know, I'm from the USA. It is election season in the USA. Who's ready for your news to be nothing but US politics for the next 12 months? <laughs> but what happens during election season? People choose a politician, whether it's Biden or Trump or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantos or whoever else, and they place their hope and trust in this person. And they say, if my candidate can get on the throne, then things will be right in the world. They place their trust in that, in that person that, that if my person can win, then our country can be great again. Many people put their trust in politicians, but it's not just politicians that people hope and trust in in our world. People also put their trust in great business leaders, people like Bill Gates or Elon Musk. They have money, they have power, they have crowds of people that listen to them. And we think, hey, with enough money, with enough power, maybe they really can fix the problems of our world. You know, maybe Bill Gates really can end world poverty. Maybe Elon Musk really will get us to Mars and make us an interplanetary species so that when we destroy this earth, we can continue on as a species, right? People, people place their hope in people like this. And it may not even be individuals. It may just be categories of people like scientists and doctors, right? Scientists and doctors are great. We need them. We, we appreciate them. But think about what happened during COVID. Everyone, regardless of whether they were like the staunchest pro-vaccine, like the government should mandate it, or whether they were on the opposite end of like anti-vaxxers, everyone found a scientist or a doctor with lots of letters after their name that they could appeal to who supported their interpretation of how things should work. And they went around spreading the message that if you just listen to my expert, to my influential person, and everyone does what they say, the world will be a better place. And, and part of the irony of how deeply ingrained this tendency to rely on human saviors is, is that even when someone says, don't rely on that influential person. They're doing it from within the same system. So it's not like don't rely on this influential person because 
humanity lacks the resources within itself to fix this, we need God. No, it's don't rely on this influential person because this influential person has all the answers. You should listen to them instead. Choose my expert, not theirs, right? Everyone, it's the, it's the natural tendency of humanity to rely on powerful, influential people who we think can do something to fix the world's problems. In the world system, there's no escaping this tendency to trust and hope in influential people to make things better. And we could go on stretching out the list of the types of people that people hope in, the reasons they trust in them. But the key thing to recognize is that any time we believe, even for a moment, that we're living in a world without a good God who's our heavenly father that loves us, we turn to other saviors. And one of the most go-to groups that we turn to as other saviors is influential people. People we think they can do something about the problems of the world. And we put our trust in them instead of God. And we do this because in a world without God, these people, the influential ones, they have the most power and influence and money to be able to change things. And on one level, that's a logical response, right? Like we cannot see or touch God, but we can see and touch these influential people. We don't know when or how God's gonna work to, to step in and make things better, but these influential people, they make concrete promises about what they're gonna do and when they're gonna do it and how they're gonna do it. It just feels more real than God in the moment. But this Psalm, Psalm 146, it's telling us that this approach of trusting in influential people, it's not gonna work. Now don't feel bad, like beat yourself up over this because it's also telling us that this is nothing new, right? Like this was an issue thousands of years ago when this Psalm was written. It was probably an issue thousands of years before that it's hardwired into humanity. It's part of the way that we naturally operate in the world. And the Bible has a name for anything we trust in or anything we hope in as our ultimate savior rather than God. Do you know what it calls those things? Idols, yes. Now in our world, we often think of idols as statues that you bow, bow down to. And that can be an idol. That's one example of what an idol can be. But biblically, idolatry is so much bigger than that. An idol is anything or anyone other than God that we turn to to be our savior. It's the sources of hope we rest in rather than God to help us know that things will be okay in the world. And idols aren't necessarily bad things, right? They're often good things like a spouse or a job Actually, the better something is, the more likely we are to turn it into an idol. Because if something is obviously clearly flawed and broken and messed up, you're not gonna believe that that can fix the problems in your life, right? There's a reason we don't go out and spend thousands and thousands of dollars for an old Nokia brick phone, but we'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars for an iPhone 15 Pro titanium. I don't have one of those. I'm just holding up a phone as an example. <laughs> I would love to have one of those, but guess what? It's not gonna fix the problems of your life. It might promise that it can, 
but it can't. But it's, it's more believable that the iPhone 15 Pro with titanium could fix the problems of your life than that the Nokia brick phone would because the iPhone 15 Pro is a better product, right? The better something is, the more likely we are to, to trust that it can fix the problems of our life, the more likely we are to turn it into an idol. So idols, they're, they're usually good things that we take and turn into God. That's actually what makes it dangerous. We believe that this person or thing can fix what's broken in my world, what's broken in my life, and it causes us to turn from God. And so this Psalm says we trust in influential people rather than God. The problem isn't that these are bad people necessarily. It's that because of their wealth or power or influence, we've allowed them to take God's place in our lives. And it says that this approach to life's problems will not work. Which brings us to our second point, why others aren't trustworthy. See, why won't this solution work? It tells us right here, because these people are human too. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. They cannot save. They never have been able to. They never will be able to. We might be, able to, we might be tempted to think that because of their power and their influence and their money, they're something more than human. But this is reminding us that they're just as frail and fragile as the rest of us. Like, I don't know if you've ever sat down and thought about this, but the most powerful person in the world, whoever you think that is, the, probably a leader of a big, strong country, the most powerful person in the world will not be alive in 75 years. The richest person in the world, I don't know who it is at this point, whether it's Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or someone else, they will not be alive in 75 years. All the rich and powerful people in the world, the ones we're tempted to trust in as our hope that they can fix our problems, no matter how great and wealthy they are, no matter how much money or power they have, they're subject to the same frailties as you and me. Right? Money and power can give them access to the best medical care that money can buy, but guess what? Steve Jobs still died of cancer, just like many of our friends and family members. They can still get heart attacks. They can still catch diabetes. In some ways, they're, they're actually in more danger than us because they're much more likely to face things like assassination attempts, right? Like th their power and influence puts them in danger. And this Psalm is telling us on the day they die, they're gone. They can't come back no matter how much money or power they have. Look at verse four, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day, his plans perish. Whether you love them or hate them on the day they die, they're gone. Their plans perish. It doesn't matter how impactful or life-changing of a project they were working on, in that moment when they die, they cannot come back to finish the work they started because they're gone. And even if their followers step in to try and continue their work, they're not necessarily gonna do it in the same way or according to the original leader's plans. Like how many countries with strong, strong leaders have fallen into chaos after that leader's death because of this 
power vacuum that the death caused. Even if the leader's former right-hand men, they try to continue doing what that leader was doing, what happens? They fight over who gets to be the top guy in continuing to do that, and then the country just descends into chaos. It's not just in politics, in business. Like from a business perspective, someone like Tim Cook has done an amazing job making Apple an incredibly profitable company. But from an innovation perspective, if you compare Apple today to Apple under Steve Jobs, oh, they've completely dropped off. They're not the same company they were before. They're still great, but not what they were before. They still make lots of money, but they're not the company that they were before. And if that can happen to Apple, it can happen to any company, it can happen to any individual, it can happen to any nation. Idols, such as influential people, they promise us the world. We're tempted to believe their promises because of how big and strong and powerful they appear to be, but they cannot save. Trusting in people and their plans and promises as your savior, it's a path destined to end in disappointment. So does this mean there's no hope for things to get better, nothing to trust in, everything's just gonna be horrible and miserable until we die? No, of course not. It means that we need a better savior, which is what the rest of this psalm tells us about, which brings us to why God is trustworthy. See, the the psalm doesn't warn us about the dangers of false saviors in order to tell us everything's miserable and you're gonna die miserable and it's horrible. Sorry. No, it tells us about the dangers of false saviors in order to point us to the beauty and the glory and the wonder of the true savior. It, it recognizes false saviors as false saviors because so often their promises seem so powerful and so convincing. But the main point of this psalm isn't the inadequacy of the false saviors. The main emphasis is on the greatness of the true savior. See, this, this section on trusting in false saviors, it's a danger all of us are faced with every single day. But in the context of the psalm, it's just here to show us through contrast how great the true God really is. This psalm, it is designed to draw our attention to the greatness of God. It's giving us reason after reason to trust in the real God instead of these false gods. Verse by verse shows us why we should trust in him rather than other saviors. It shows us why we should praise him And the rest of this psalm is unpacking these ideas. And the reasons that it gives for trusting in the real God can be grouped into three main categories. First, God is trustworthy because he is the creator. He made everything. We see in verse six that he made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. See, Elon Musk can make some incredible stuff using different materials and playing with the laws of physics to to accomplish great things. But guess what? God created all the things that Elon Musk works with. God created the laws of physics that Elon Musk works with. God created Elon Musk. Leaders of different nations, they wage war for control of the sky and the earth and the sea. But guess what? God created the sky and the earth and the sea. All the people who fight for this power one day, they're gonna die, they're gonna be buried. 
but God is the one who will rule over all of them forever. This last line of verse six, who keeps faith forever. It means that God is faithful forever. It's not just that he made all of these things, but that he continuously upholds them moment by moment. So the fact that you exist in the first place is true because God is the creator. But the fact that you continue to exist and stay alive moment by moment by moment is because God is the faithful sustainer of everything. He keeps his promises. He's trustworthy. And because of that, he keeps the world running moment by moment, day by day. So we can trust God rather than idols because God created everything. He sustains everything. But second, we can trust God rather than idols because God is the redeemer. You know, there are lots of religions out there that believe in some sort of God or divine being who created the world, but who is in no way, shape or form good. Some ancient religions believed that back before humanity existed, there was a war between different groups of gods. And one of those gods came and created humanity as an act of rebellion against the other gods. Some ancient religions believed that God or the gods, whoever, worked together to create humanity because they needed slaves to prepare and serve food for them. Did you know that? Yeah. So these religions, they believe that there is some divine being who created humanity, but in no way, shape, or form is this divine being good. Maybe you worship them because you have to, because they'll punish you if you don't, but no sane person would really be excited to worship these gods. But in contrast, this Psalm shows us over and over that the God of the Bible is trustworthy and good. He shows compassion. Look at the actions starting from verse seven that it tells us that God does. He executes justice for the oppressed. The oppressed, usually they're powerless. They have nobody to fight for them and take their side, nobody to defend them. But the God of the Bible, he takes their case. He defends them. He takes their side. It says he gives food to the hungry. He's a provider. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Unlike these gods of other religions who create humanity for the sake of captivity and being slaves who serve them food, the God of the Bible gives freedom. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He's a healer. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. He reverses fortunes. He brings good to those who have suffered. The Lord loves the righteous. Have you ever lived your life trying to obey God and honor him and just feel like no one sees, no one notices, no one cares? It's telling us God sees, God notices, God cares, God cherishes you. He loves you. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Sojourners and widows and fatherless, they're all vulnerable people groups. They're the most likely in society to be taken advantage of and to suffer, but God sees them and he protects them even when no one else does. And the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. It's a more destructive one, but it's also good news because guess what? The wicked are those who seek to hurt and harm others. 
God protects us from their schemes by thwarting their plans. Literally in Hebrew, it says he makes their roads crooked. It's like they have this plan to go out and hurt and harm people and this path that they're planning to walk down. And as they start taking a step, God just changes the road and puts all these twists and turns in there so that it's impossible for them to navigate so that they can never complete their plan of bringing this harm and hurt to others. God is not just the creator, he's the redeemer. Now, two quick notes on these things that God does. First, this is not a promise that right this moment, every beggar is gonna get a filling meal and every prisoner is just gonna walk out of the prison right now. If you're on your way home this afternoon and, and you see a blind person on the street and they're still blind, that does not mean that this is all a lie. It's not meant to unravel your faith or make you doubt God's faithfulness to keep his promises. This psalm, it's viewing life from the perspective of eternity. In Revelation chapter 21, verse five, Jesus says, I am making all things new. The promise of the Bible is that God is working right now and will continue to work and one day bring it to completion to undo the effects of sin and death and disease and corruption so that for the people who trust in him, eternity will be perfect. And sometimes in our world today, we get glimpses of eternity breaking through. We call them miracles. But even if we don't see these things all the time, every time, right here and now in this life, the promise of the Bible is that this is what awaits the followers of Jesus for eternity. So even when our experience today doesn't always seem to match what it says right here, we can keep trusting in God. That's the first thing. Second, all of these things that God does right here, they're meant to point us to Jesus and the cross because ultimately on a spiritual and eternal level, we receive all of these things most fully through him. So verse seven says that God executes justice for the oppressed. In the book of Romans, it says that all of us are born as slaves to sin, that, that we're spiritually oppressed from birth, but through Jesus, God sets us free. He fights for us. He takes our cause. He gives us freedom and justice. Verse seven says that God gives food to the hungry. Jesus says in the gospels that his flesh is our true spiritual food. In verse eight, it says that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And in Ephesians, Paul prays that the eyes of the Christian's hearts would be open through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit so that they can see and understand how high and wide and deep and long is God's love for them. And, and we could go on unpacking that list. But Jesus' work on the cross is how we get access to all of these realities that it lists out in this Psalm on a spiritual level and an eternal level. So if you're here today and you haven't ever trusted in Jesus as your savior, I'd love to talk to you after service or you can find someone else here after service to talk to and just share with you about how this can become yours today, how you can trust in Jesus today. But the goal of this list, it's not just to point to the physical world, it's also to point us to the cross and the spiritual realities that are accomplished there. So we can trust God because he's our creator. We can trust God rather than idols because he is the redeemer, but we can also trust him third because he is the king forever. We see this in verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. See the human saviors that we trust in rather than God, they're all gonna die. Their plans will fail. 
but God's on the throne forever. He will never die. He will never go away. His plans will never be thwarted. And it's not just that he reigns forever, but as verse six says, he keeps faith forever. He's faithful forever. His character, the way he works, it will never change. The God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us and rescue us is the same God who will continue reigning on the throne and seeking our good forever. He's never gonna change. He'll have that same self-giving love towards us forever. And because that's who he is, you and I can trust him. He will never disappoint us like human saviors will. And if that's the case, if God is truly trustworthy, then how should we respond to him? What does it look like for us to respond properly to him? Well, we see two big things in this psalm in terms of our proper response. The first thing we see is that we respond properly by praising God. Did you notice the first and last line of this psalm say the same exact thing? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, the word is hallelujah. You ever heard that one before? It means praise the Lord. And the fact that this same line is the first and last line of the psalm, it creates what's called a bracket around the psalm. It's meant to give shape and context to the psalm. So as we read the psalm, the whole psalm, is encouraging us to praise the Lord. It's telling us why that's the right thing for us to do. So we praise him because he's a God who truly saves. We celebrate him and the salvation he brings. In verse two, it talks about singing praises to him while I have my being or as long as I live. And in light of who God is, in light of the fact that he reigns forever and stays faithful forever, continuing to praise him as long as we live, is the only proper response because he reigns forever. He's faithful forever. He's the savior forever. Our praises for him should continue as long as we're able to keep praising him because he's continue, he will continue to be worthy of praise as long as we are able to keep praising him. So praise is the first proper response. And the second proper response to God and who he is, is to hope in him. We see this in verse five. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. See, when we see our world in chaos, when we see our lives in chaos, the proper response is to turn to God for help, turn to God for salvation, rather than the experts and powerful people and influencers of our world. Now, just to clarify, that doesn't mean that we can't use the insights of our world and the things that people can teach us to help in that process, right? God has given us lots of really smart and powerful people as a gift to help and bless us, right? If you're sick, it's not wrong to go to the doctor. It's a good thing to go to the doctor because God has given them knowledge and skills and tools to help your body get better. But what this means to hope in God is that even as we go to the doctor, our ultimate hope rests on God and his goodness. It rests on God and his willingness to be, on our, to be our help, not on the people or things of this world and their ability to fix our problems. You know, it's interesting, this chapter, it's right near the end of the book of Psalms. If you read through the book of Psalms, it covers the entire range of human emotions and experiences. There are some Psalms where people are excited and, and just, 
celebrating and others where they are sad and depressed. There are some Psalms where things are going well and others where people are fearing for their lives. There are Psalms where people feel close and intimate with God and other Psalms where they're just the whole time like, God, where are you? There are some where people are like, God, please help me. I've, I've been faithful and obedient to you my whole life. And others where they're being like, God, please forgive me for murder. Right? It's literally the whole range of human experience and emotions. All the emotions and experiences that we face throughout life show up in the Psalms. But the book of Psalms ends with praise and confidence in God. Starting from this chapter, 146, through the end of the book of Psalms, the last five chapters of the book, all of them start and end with this line, praise the Lord, hallelujah. The whole book, it goes through this roller coaster ride of up and down, up and down, but it ends and builds to this grand finale for God's ultimate victory in the end and our praise of him for it. The end of the book, there's no question whether things are going to end on the up or the down. Things are going to end well is what this book of Psalms shows us. And if we are followers of God, that's meant to parallel our lives. We have good days. We have bad days. We have days where it feels like everything's going uh, perfect and days where it feels like everything's going wrong. But if we're followers of Jesus, the Bible's promise is that the end of the story for us is good. The end of the story for us is celebration. The end of the story for us is praise. But the only way to get through the trials to that place of victory and praise is by continuing to hope in God when life is hard. Continuing to trust in him and believe he's good, even when you don't quite understand how he could possibly be good in the midst of what you're experiencing right now. So this week, when the trials of life feel overwhelming, when the fights with your spouse just won't stop, when your fear over global warming or geopolitics or the economy starts flaring up, when your exams feel like too much to bear, when work is beyond your ability to cope with, when you face a hundred other difficulties and trials, how can you hope in God in the midst of them? Because church, God is good and God is faithful. But we're still gonna face trials this week. We're still gonna face challenges this week. And in those challenges and and trials, we're gonna be tempted to turn to false saviors, false sources of hope, people other than God that say that they can fix what's broken. But today's psalm, it reminds us the powerful and influential people we turn to for salvation can never truly save us because they're human just like us. But in contrast, the God of the Bible is a God who can save. We can trust him to save because he's the creator, he's the redeemer, and he's the king forever. And when we understand that about him, we'll place our hope in him and we'll praise him for his goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who's not just off in heaven doing your own thing, not really caring about us, but you're a God 
who's intimately involved in the details of our lives. That you know us, that you care about us, that you're working in us to shape us into the people that you want us to be. And that for those who trust in you, the end of the story is always good. It's always praise. It's always celebration. God, I pray that that reality would give us hope this week. You would teach us to trust in you in the midst of tough times, that you would set us free from the false saviors that we tend to turn to, that we'd be able to find our hope in you alone, and that it would lead us to praise and celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.